Please stand for the reading of God's word from Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom we foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those, who pre, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he also justified. And those, those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Uh, well, good morning uh, and welcome again. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. As you heard, we have uh, many things going on in the life of our community. We'd love uh, the opportunity to get to know you, to, to have you find CTK as a home uh, for yourself, for your friends, for your family. Uh, we are a community uh, that strives to be doing life together, and that's... Uh-oh. There we go. Particularly what we'll be talking about uh, in the coming weeks is what does it look like to be a community, a life together. We're fading in and out. Let's try one more time. Uh, And so we are starting a new series called uh, The Life of the Church, following the series that we concluded at Easter, we're going to switch over this way. If we can go with that mic. Great. Following our series where we talked about belonging to God, what does it mean to be those whom God has called his own? We're going to look now, what what does that look like? What does it mean to be God's people? God's people have always been called the church. It's actually a a word originally in Greek, ekklesia. It's uh, even before that, it's congregation. What does it mean to be the people of God? I want to describe particularly for those who don't believe, who don't know Jesus, about what is the church? What are we supposed to be about? Uh, The church in culture may look like a lot of different things. You may understand it to be just a culture warrior, uh, to be a group of people that are about saying no to certain things and yes to certain other things. The church just looks like political activism, drawing lines in the sand, saying no to this, banning that, that sort of thing. But I wanna answer the questions, what are we here for according to God's word? and God's ways. What is the church supposed to be about? And for those of us who do believe, I want to tell you again to remind you, to remind myself about who you are in Christ. What are you now? What are you here to do? There are many different pictures in scripture about what it means to be the church, to be the congregation, the called people of God. But I'm going to borrow again uh, from the author Henry Nouwen, as we used him uh, in our last series, but this time from his book, The Life of the Beloved, to draw on a picture that he gives there about what the life of the church, what the Christian life is supposed to be about. Uh, He uses a single picture and four words to describe it, to frame up what that life looks like. Uh, He uses the picture of what we'll get to partake in later today, which is a sacrament of communion, where bread is, he says, taken or chosen, blessed, broken, 
and given. That's how he describes the Christian life. He says, these words summarize my life as a priest because each day when I come together around the table with members of my community, I take bread, I bless it, I break it, and I give it. He says, these words also summarize my life as a Christian because I am called to become bread for the world. Bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given. Likewise, our Christian life, the life of the church, the called people of God, is to be a sort of living sacrament, something that the world can partake of, can feed on, to be nourished by, that that we're called to be this chosen, blessed, broken, and given people. And so we're going to work through this paradigm, these four words, two weeks at a time per word, chosen, blessed, broken, and given. So this week we're starting two weeks on chosen to help us understand and prayerfully live into the life of the church and to invite you, if you don't know God, if you are not a Christian, to to understand and maybe to yourself be called into the life of the church. And so this week we're starting with part one of being the chosen of God by looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And we're going to bounce around through different passages through this series, but we're going to look at that passage in particular to say, what does it say first about what does it mean to be chosen in verses 28 through 29? Secondly, how does Jesus show us how we are chosen? And finally, when? Were we chosen like this in verses 29 through 30? So what does it mean to be chosen? How does Jesus help us understand, show us the way that we are chosen? And when were we chosen in this way? Before we do that, would you pray with me? Let's give our hearts to the Lord as we open his word. God, as Martha prayed, it has been a a, a difficult week Uh, internationally. there There are many struggles and pains We think of the people in Sudan, we think of the people in Yemen that have gone through difficulty, that are continuing to go through difficulty. We think back uh, to the people of Turkey and earthquakes and so many things, God, and yet we also have pain at home. Uh, Nationally, again, there's been gun violence and pain, and we grieve these things, God. We grieve that there's pain in our own hearts, in our own city, that there are many difficult things that we are going through that, that some of us are struggling uh, just to get by. We're struggling with physical health. We're struggling with mental health. We're struggling in our souls. God, you know that, that your people have always been those who are broken, who are struggling. And maybe that's the most obvious part of this paradigm to us, God, but we need you this morning to show us that we are, in fact, also chosen, that you do want us, that you do see us, that you care that you know, and that you will answer. And so we pray as we, we step into the life of your word this morning that you would open up to us the life of the church as your chosen people. Would you do that by your grace this morning? Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If you don't have one, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We'll go back through the text a little bit this morning. But we're going to start with talking about what is it to be the chosen people of God? What does that mean? There's probably a lot of emotional baggage to that. You might have a various concepts of that that you're familiar with culturally. It might feel holier than thou or something like that to, to think about. But what on, on its own terms... What does it mean? Why is it important for us to understand what it is to be chosen? 
Now, if you go back through the text here, verse 29 says something in particular about what it means to be the chosen people of God. It says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That word foreknew sounds old and confusing and difficult. Uh, Maybe a better translation of it, not just for our ease of use, but for actually understanding what Paul's talking about and being chosen here, a better translation might be that God chose beforehand. Uh, It's a word that, that in Greek, when it talks about a thing, it means you knew about that thing beforehand. But when it talks about people, it's closer to a meaning of, I chose you beforehand as a meaning of being selected, chosen. So Paul says those who belong to God, whom he has called his own, verse 28, according to that divine purpose, those he he foreknew, he chose beforehand. It doesn't say that God found you by accident. He didn't stumble upon you. He didn't know a little bit about you. I've heard a little about you. It says he chose his church beforehand. He personally, intentionally chose, if you belong to him, you. He took you as his own. That's what Paul is saying, that God chose his people on purpose. Do you know God that way? Do you know God as someone whom he has chosen on purpose. We're going to talk more about what this means and more about what it means for God to have chosen us beforehand. But what does it really mean to be chosen by God like that, to to know him as having chosen me on purpose? It's a concept that that I'll say for me, and I would guess for you as well, is, is kind of unknown. If I'm honest, it is unfamiliar to me. I don't live my life in a way where, where it says through my actions, through my thoughts, through my habits that I know that I am chosen by God on purpose. So what does it mean? Uh, Henry Nouwen in that book, The Life of the Beloved, says, when I say to you that we are God's chosen ones, I mean that we have been seen by God from all eternity and seen as unique, special, precious beings. Now it says to be chosen by God, to be seen by him, means that we are to be selected as desirable, unique, special, precious. It means to be seen by God in that way. It means that God sees you that way. So when Paul says you were chosen beforehand, that means that God sees you, Christians. God sees you, you, fill in your name, as special, precious, chosen on purpose, not by accident, not begrudgingly. He chose you with your life, your relationships, your career, your home, your living situation, your health, not the way that you want it to be. He chose you with all your your brokenness and failures and mistakes, all your inability to plan ahead, all your inability to get things right, to be corrected when you ought to be corrected. He chose you with all your faults, All your faults as a parent, 
All your faults as a child, all your faults as a friend, as a sibling, as a coworker, as a student. He chose you with all your bad habits, your bad temper, your grumpiness, and your stubbornness. He chose you with your selfishness and self-centeredness and short-sightedness. That version of you, God chose you beforehand. Now what that should do is allow anyone in this room to put their hand up as able to be chosen. That's what the gospel does for you. That's what Christianity does for you. It levels the playing field to say that when you were a smoking pile of rubble in your life, God chose you, set his affection on you, so it doesn't matter if your life is a smoking pile of rubble now. God can still, by his electing love and grace and generosity, set his favor on you and choose you. Amen. Do you believe that God chose you, that God would choose you like that? We might confess that we believe that. We read our confession of faith this morning, and as Matt alluded to, those are going to talk about what is the life of the church. It's meant to pair up with our series here. We might confess these things with our mouths, but in here, in your heart, do you really believe that God chose you on that basis? I'll be honest, I often do not. I often don't feel like if I've had a bad day or a bad week that God would choose someone like me. Maybe that's you too. But the beautiful thing is, it is not, I want to say this clearly, it is not the case in Christianity that you make yourself lovable for God. It's not that you become special, you become worthwhile and he recognizes that or that he saw that ahead of time that someday you would get your act together and he would choose you because of that. That is not Christianity. The grace and the goodness of Christianity, it's, it's that you are lovely and special to God because he loves you. His love, his choice of you, is what makes you lovely and special. I want to say that again. It is not that you make yourself special. It is that God, by his choice of you, makes you special. It's an amazing, unrivaled power in our world that the, that the choice of God has the power to, in and of itself, make you something other than you are. Like his word in the beginning of the book of Genesis had power to create everything out of nothing, he just said, let there be light, and there was light. In the same way, God, by his choice of you, makes you come to life amidst the darkness of your life. It's not that the darkness had some light in it. It's that God spoke into the darkness, said, let there be light, and there was light. In the same way, God speaks into the darkness of our lives and says, let there be chosenness. Let there be my church, my people. Not because there was light in it, but because in his choosing, he draws you, he makes you into light. He chooses you as special and like light spoken into the darkness, you become by that choice chosen on purpose and special. How amazing is that? 
Where else in our world are you going to find something that does that for you? What other religion, what other way of life, what other, what other group of friends or peers is going to give you something like that that makes you beautiful by its choice, that doesn't invite you to get yourself together, put yourself together, clean yourself up, get a number of degrees, get that alphabet suit behind your name and your email signature, and then be chosen, then be selected, then get tenure, then get that promotion. Know that by its choosing of you, gives you all that loveliness. But the reality is that, that even if we're in here and we've chosen that, we do not live, I do not live, like that's really actually true of us as Christians. We often don't feel like we are really chosen. We don't feel like we're special or worthy. More often than not, we see ourselves, like Henry Nouwen says, he sees himself, or at least believes that others see him. He says, as I look within as well as around myself, I'm overwhelmed by the dark voices telling me, you are nothing special. You are just another person among millions. Your life is just one more mouth to feed. Your needs just one more problem to solve. Even though we believe in Christ, which means we believe what Paul says here is true, that God chose us on purpose as special, we live our lives day in and day out so often as feeling forgettable, rejected, unnecessary, and undesirable. We don't live as the chosen people of God. We live as an afterthought and a question mark. We don't live into the confidence of God's choice of us. And yet, that is not a place that we have to stay or that God intends to leave us. We can, as Nowen points out, quote, dare to reclaim the truth that we are God's chosen ones. We can have the courage, we can have the boldness, we can, we can dare to actually reclaim for ourselves that idea that I just might be true, that I, me, with all of my life as a smoking heap of rubble, might be chosen. It's very, very hard to do that. I'm not pretending like it's easy. I don't want you to hear me say that by the end of this sermon, you will feel like, got it, done. No, but it is possible. And I've found this week that it started to feel more possible for me as I've looked at how, how Jesus helps us know and see just how chosen we are. So I want to talk about that in our second point. And, and he does this in so, so many ways. But I want to look at, at how Jesus shows us, puts into our hearts his chosenness of us through, through two things, through his humanity and through his work of redemption. Think about his humanity with me for a moment. I want to invite you, and we'll talk about this at the end, but to, to meditate on this more. Think about this, that, that Jesus Christ, God himself, God eternal, who was there at the foundation of the world, Scripture says, chose to become fully human and live on earth. To be human. Not human in the 21st century, mind you. Not human with indoor plumbing and electricity. Human with outdoor, no plumbing, no electricity, no antibiotics, no comforts. Human in that time. 
And he chose to be human over anything else that he made in creation. He didn't choose to be angel, animal, not other creature or creation, but human, exactly like you, having hands and feet, having a body exactly like yours, yet one unbroken by sin. I want you to think about the fact that of all he made and planned, of the vastness of the universe, of all that we could look into with telescopes now, the entire expanse and history of the cosmos, he chose out of all that to become like you. Finite, limited, human. Of all he could have chosen, of all other religions say that God might choose to be like, tending to, to picture it as a strong animal or a place uh, that God would, that would dwell particularly in. But, but scripture, Christianity says that God chose to come as human. Human. He didn't choose to come and save angels. He didn't choose to come to be like animals. He came as human. I want you to look around you when you leave this building today because the only thing that you will see that God chose to be like out of everything that you can look at is other people. You are the only thing in the expanse of the universe. If you were to go to the farthest corner of the universe, the only thing there that God would have chosen to be like is you. Do you understand? We, we tend to feel like that, yes, Earth is special, and, and yeah, maybe we could find some other planet like it, but, but Scripture's suggestion is that, that we are the, the value center of the entire universe because God set his affection on humanity, and that no matter where you could go, God would be pouring out his affection and his desire, his chosenness on people. And he chose to do that knowing and exactly because of the fact that we would walk away from him. God could have chosen to be like the animals. The animals have not rebelled in sin. He could have chosen to be like a rock or what, pick something. But he chose and it was necessary in his love to become like the people that would wound him. The people that would walk away from him. Him. And that brings us to the greater level of how Jesus shows us that we are chosen, not just in choosing to be human like us, but through his working of redemption for his people, because Christ chose us, came to rescue us, not in a comfortable way, not some way that would be outside of our pain and experience, but as one of us, as fully human. Do you see how personal Jesus' choosing is in that? He didn't come to save us as a wealthy donor and benefactor. Many of us might experience that in this city and another city. Someone comes in with a big endowment. They want to lavish that on you. But are they there in the trenches? Did they get dirty? Did they get involved when things are difficult? No, they stay remote in penthouses, on super yachts, having nice vacations. Jesus had that standing and more, and yet what does he do? Philippians says he comes as poor, as the poorest of the poor. He humbles himself. He empties himself of all that extravagance that it is to be God, and he comes among us as one who is poor. 
not to sprinkle salvation around with his wealth until we poor sinners come to be like him, but takes on our poverty so that out of his wealth we might have his riches. And not just to share our poverty, but to to bear it, to carry our sin, the, the root of all poverty and suffering, which is sin. He chose to carry it on the cross into the grave so that he would have his chosen people back. Even in sin and death, his people are still, and even more particularly, his chosen ones. Even when you feel so messed up, Jesus sees you as worth dying to save, worth coming and being uncomfortable, worth suffering and having agony as an experience instead of glory and power. Do you see when you look at what Jesus would take on just in becoming human and redeeming you, how special you are to him? If you feel poor, know that Jesus chose you in poverty and chose to become like you. Chose to take your place in it rather than to never choose you at all. You feel messy, Jesus steps into the mess. He takes back what is his. See how chosen you are by the extent to which he is willing to go to have you back. And yet don't miss either as we turn to verses 29 and 30 here. When he chose you. When he chose to make that sacrifice. When he chose to embrace those limits at a point in time and history. When did he choose you? When did he choose to do these things for you? Verse 29 says, God's people were chosen when? Beforehand. Before what? If you go over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says there that that God chose us, quote, in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. So that's the time before time existed, which means that God's choice of you happened in an existence outside of time, which only came into being when God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's hard to grasp, but the church has understood Romans 8, Ephesians 1 to mean that from all eternity, from outside of time, those who belong to God by grace were chosen by God to belong to him. In other words, it is always, hear me say that, it has always been God's plan to choose those who belong to him by grace to become one of us and die for us just out of grace. It has always been God's plan to do this. Henry Nouwen says, from all eternity, long before you were born and became a part of history, you existed in God's heart. Long before, he says, your parents admired you or your friends acknowledged your gifts or teachers, colleagues, and employers encouraged you, you were already chosen. The eyes of love had seen you already as precious, as of infinite beauty, as of eternal value. 
God has always loved you in Christ. And now one says that means that, that our preciousness, our, our uniqueness, and our individuality, our authenticity are not given to us by those who meet us in what he calls clock time, our brief chronological existence, but they're given to us by the one who has chosen us with an everlasting love, a love that existed from all eternity past and will last throughout all eternity future. Before you ever took a breath, before any light came to be in the darkness, God chose you. And he did that knowing he would choose you, verse 30, as someone he would have to justify. Paul spells out this chain. We're not going to get into all that today, but those he he called, those he chose, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. He chose you as someone... He was going to have to taste death and suffering to have. Someone he was going to have to put in work to have. He chose you as someone that would require suffering and agony and limitations from him. He planned for it to be that way as what was best and right. And I want you to just sit with that for a minute. God knew what it would cost to choose you, those who are his, And he did it anyway. He knew what your life would look like. He knew what your relationships would look like. He knew what your mistakes would be. He knew what your bad habits would be. He knew what your worst tendencies would be. He knew the worst things you could possibly do. Think about Paul who's writing this. Paul, as we've talked about before, was a murderer and a gang leader. And he chose, before all time, Paul, a murderer and a gang leader. Think about the affection, the choice of God in that to choose broken, messed up people before all time. You have always been chosen, Christians. What could be more special than being chosen by the person who created life and time and existence itself? What could anything in existence or time possibly give you to match the choice of that person? See by God how valuable and chosen you are. May we stop swapping the affection and the choice of those who, like ourselves, exist for a brief, fleeting moment of time, whom we may not even know for the entirety of our lives, who we, we cower down for, who we are anxious and, and in turmoil for. We turn our lives upside down for finite breaths of creatures when the God of eternity chose you when you were a mess. So I want to invite you to to internalize your chosenness this week as Christians by doing two things. And if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to, to consider that God might have chosen you in all your mess. That he would set his affection on someone like you because this room, for anyone that believes, should be able to put their hand up and say, I was, I continue to be a mess and God has saved me just by grace. 
So you're not in this room if you're not a Christian as someone who is not yet put together, someone who is not yet good enough, someone who is not yet worthy of being chosen. You are sitting in the exact same basis that any of us are when Christ called us to himself to faith. Know that you can be chosen here on the exact same basis as any one of us. But I want to encourage us to internalize that chosenness this week by doing two things, by, by meditating and celebrating. I want to encourage you first to, to meditate that we really do need to internalize these things by setting our minds on them, to reflect on what it means just for that, those two things that we talked about, for Jesus to have chosen everyone who calls on him by faith through his humanity and his redemption. Of all that he made, think about that this week, that he chose to be like you, to make humanity in his image of all that he made. Meditate on that as much as we like to meditate on our feed, on our TVs, on whatever else it may be. Meditate for a moment on the fact that of all Jesus made, he chose to be like you. Meditate on the fact that of all he made, he chose to become human and die for people's sins. Not come and have a good time. Right, that, that's what the Greek gods are doing all the time, is just kind of having mischief, having a party, coming down, maybe taking on a human form to have a good time. Jesus did not come down to have a good time, but came down to suffer for his people. Of all he made, he chose to suffer for those who call on him by faith. Meditate on that fact that, that his choice of you even had no beginning and has no end. It stretches beyond time, beyond your mistakes. It is outside of, independent, not changed by, all of those things. So when you struggle to wonder this week on what basis God would possibly love you, meditate on the ways that Jesus has chosen his people from before all time. And let that slowly work into you. That will take time. That will not happen today. This is a, a lifetime project, but we get to do this. And we also, as, as now it encourages us to do, need to do, we need to not just meditate, but actually celebrate. Now it says, in order to, to do what he invites us to do, to dare to reclaim our identity as God's chosen people, he says, you have to celebrate. You have to celebrate your chosenness constantly. He says this means saying thank you to God for having chosen you and thank you to all who remind you of your chosenness. He says it's the most fruitful way, actually, of deepening our understanding that we are not an accident but, by, but a divine choice is to actually celebrate, to have gratitude for God's choice of us. And to celebrate it not, not with a... God, I'm sorry you had to choose me. I know, I know, right? God, I'm a, I'm a disgrace. I shouldn't be here, but you chose me? Me? Right, like the game show contestant running down the aisle for the price is right. I know I just lost many of you, sadly, but running down for the price is right, getting called up to the showcase, like me! That kind of celebration of I, me? That's what the gospel gives you. How could it be me, but it's me? Have that kind of celebration in your heart. Let yourself lean into that. 
Let that meditating on how Jesus would choose you, getting back to that gratitude for on the basis and the time that he chose you before time, let that well up in your heart to that, that celebrating that, that it would actually be me. I know it might feel strange. Y'all, we are Presbyterians. We don't celebrate, right? We don't get in the spirit. We don't feel it. We're very muted. We're calm. We don't raise hands, right? But God invites us to celebrate. Celebrating being chosen is actually part of how we increasingly know and live out of being chosen. It's not wrong. It's okay. It's actually helpful. It's not an add-on to celebrate. It is a factory-installed function. Right? It is part of the operating system. It is necessary and good for us. If God rejoices over us... Can't we say that he means for us to rejoice over being chosen? Why would it be fine for God to rejoice over us, but we can't rejoice? We can't celebrate. I want to challenge you to, to find one thing each day this week, if you can, or just once this week, even if only a small way, to say thank you to God for choosing you to celebrate, even if it's just for one second in one small way, that he would actually choose you. That by grace you are his now. That God would choose someone like me. Because the truth is, Paul says that everyone he has chosen, he has chosen in this exact way as his special people on purpose. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little space for you to respond in prayer to God about some of these things that we've heard, maybe thanking God for, for choosing you, really, starting in that moment right now, saying, God, thank you that you have chosen me by grace, or confessing the ways that, that really we've wanted someone else's choice more, that, that I have wanted that other affirmation, that I'm, I don't really care as much as maybe I could be free to about your choosing me. We're just asking God to, to help you really live out of your chosenness today, tomorrow, to grow in this, for him to give you faith, to know it for the first time even. Let's take a few more minutes. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you hear these prayers that you choose by grace, uh, that if we can borrow from the game show that you have always said with us, the price is right. We thank you that you love us in that way, that you are willing to give and sacrifice. Would you teach us to know that you love us that way, that you choose us. In your name we pray, amen.